You're listening to Mornings on FBI Radio 94.5 and right now I'm joined by our pleasure activist Tanya Coons for... Morning Tanya, thanks for joining us. Morning Bridie, great to be here. Now every fortnight you come in and sort of help fill out some of the more common gaps in our sexual education. <laughs> Tonight, Today, sorry, you're here to expand our knowledge on the female arousal system. So when we talk about the female arousal system, Tanya, who and what are we specifically talking about? Uh, that's a really good question to kick this off, actually. Um, who we're going to be talking about today are people who have vulvas. So not everybody who has a vulva will identify as female. So sometimes we may shorthand and say female women, but we want to be super inclusive of everyone with a vulva. So I tend to say people with a vulva, but every now and then we slip into, whoops, female arousal systems. So we're taking great care, but yep, people who own vulvas. And we're going to talk about all the bits and pieces that make it work and what happens to them when they get excited. We should start off then with the, uh, well, what I would consider the most (laughs) important part of the vulva, the clitoris. (laughs) Where is the clitoris? Where is the clitoris? Gee, I wish everybody knew the answer to this question. It does seem to be a little bit of a mystery for some people. Not naming any names. (laughs) It does. does. Do you know the clitoris has had a very checkered history? Like It it was in anatomy textbooks for um, a while and then it got edited out. It's very, very political. Interesting. Why is that? Um, Political at the time. I think people didn't know what it was. They said... when they associate, Don't know what it is. Let's get rid of it. Yeah, and when they associate sex and pleasure with women, they get a bit scared because it hasn't been until really about the 1970s that people have sort of gone, oh, you know, there's desire and women have desire and want to have as much pleasure. There's been, and we'll get to that later in the show, I think, about different tropes about people's ha- levels of horniness and arousal. Um, so where is the clip? Uh What we generally see in textbooks is just the little bit that's poking on the outside, but the clitoris looks like a wishbone kind of thing. It's got the part that sits at the top of the vulva, so it's a a little gland's head and it's got lots of nerve endings there and it's often covered by a hood. And then it all goes back inside the body. So it's really hard to describe this on the radio and I'm doing all these movements in the studio. (laughs) I like the the wishbone uh, analogy. So like a, a... Cold, hot coals rotisserie chook and you finish with that. You <laughs> Rip it the, open. There's, there's the wishbone. you get the wishbone. So it's got those two sort of prongs coming off. It's of got the... two prongs. Those are the legs. They wrap around the pubic bones, but they also have two bulbs, right? So they're the vestibular bulbs and they they are also on the inside and they, are, they, they cuddle either side of the vaginal sheath. So when they swell up and arouse, they actually push the vagina um, so uh, when we're getting aroused, and we'll talk a little bit more, the vagina tends to balloon out, but the, the job, part of the job of the clitoral system is to push it nice and snug so everything's nice and snug. And what it means is that anything that's going in there will be a perfect fit, doesn't matter what size it is. And and when you say that the uh, legs wrap around the pubic bone, yeah. what is it? where is the pubic bone? What is that? It's in your... Good question. <laughs> someone wanted to. I feel like I'm doing anatomy in the dark yeah. here, but yeah. <laughs> um, the, the pubic bone is down in your pelvis and it basically sits around your genitals right so it's the the bony structure if you push uh just below your belly button say a few centimeters below your belly button you'll feel for for the viewers at home we're both pressing in the studio here (laughs) um you, you can feel a sort of hard bone there that will be your pubic bone and then genitals tend to sort of rest in and around that depending on um which configuration you have okay so that's the bone that doesn't agree with my bike seat (laughs) 
<laughs> Quite, but it's the front. It's at the front. Okay. So I don't know how you're riding your bike not, there, Brandy. Not well, probably. <laughs> um, so I've heard that the clitoris is sort of like a more sensitive version of a penis. Is that a is that a true sort of comparison, or is that just sort of one of these old wives' tales that gets generated through? Do you know a lot? Of, there's been a lot of press, and I fell foul of this as well. A whole bunch of us sexologists um, read an article recently and went, "Oh my god, know that." So we it used to be cited that the clitoris has twice as many nerve endings as the penis, eight thousand versus four thousand. But actually, somebody went, "Hey, really? Where did this come from?" And we couldn't find any research for it that related to humans. We only found a research study back to cows, which had those figures in it. So I think it's pretty likely that the clitoris and the head of the penis have equal numbers of nerve endings and that they're both very sensitive. Does that mean they feel the same when they're touched in the same way? Um, well, it's it's erectile tissue. I'm guessing that they'll feel pretty good. I think that if you look at it, the clitoris is really, really concentrated. It's a much smaller spot than the glands head of the penis. But, I mean, if you speak to a clitoris owner and you speak to a glands a penis owner, those areas are pretty good for most people. Once again, not everybody loves being touched directly or they need some warming up before they're touched in those areas. So, yeah. But when you think about it, the whole clitoris, like the wishbone structure that we were dis- discussing, is made up of erectile tissue. And that's basically the same kind of tissue that you find inside the penis. So those legs are made up of the same spongy tissue that's on the bottom of the penis, the corpus spongiosum, that make it go up. And the bulbs are made out of the same stuff that's on the side of the penis, this corpus cavernosum, that make it go out. So it's all the same stuff, really. And we're having her erections on the inside, not he erections, but her erections. But people don't see that stuff. So it's a lot more mysterious. Very mysterious. We're going to get into a little bit of that mystery in a minute. But before we go to a track here, I wanted to basically ask you how the arousal system works in women or vagina owners, other than stimulation of the clit what how does the whole system come together Uh, this thank you for asking that question it's my very favorite question to answer (laughs) because i think people don't understand um uh arousal systems of uh people with vulvas very well at all they assume that it's going to be the same as a penis owner um I think a lot of people think that a vagina is just a little hole that's waiting for a penis to drop in for a visit, right? But most of the time, a a vagina is a squashed flat balloon, right, with its sides actually touching. It's not ready for action. And it needs a signal from the brain. So in um, vulva owners, our arousal is 75% subjective it's what's going on around us you know so if the dog just threw up on the floor and the dinner's boiling over (laughs) we ain't going to be feeling really jiggy whereas penis owners can arouse very quickly you know they're like a magnesium flame come on dogs feel or no (laughs) (laughs) exactly if you're bending over to clean that up they're like oh hello (laughs) so we need a signal from the brain to go hi i'm interested in having sex and it sends a signal down our central nervous system into the squamous cells inside the genitals and they will then have little valves go oh hello time to open the valves and let blood come in and these cells swell up and as they're swelling up in between them becomes little pockets of air and then you get sort of like step one open for business and I hasten to say step 
one, right? Most people do what I call a bit of flick and twiddle foreplay, right? So they're excited, they want to have sex, and they're in a hurry to get to the P and V part. So they, they might do a little bit of fondling of breasts or touching, some kissing, and they'll feel to the outside of the vulva to see if there's any moisture there and assume that if there's any dampness that we're ready to go. This is not so. What you get at that early stage is a couple of viscous drops of fluid that are meant to coat the tip of whatever's going in, right? Fingers, fist, penis, dildo, coats the tip. What else needs to be happening is the vagina, which has been a squash flat balloon not so long ago, needs to swell up and balloon out and it needs to sweat. And one of the walls of the vagina has a whole bunch of really interesting spots that I sort of liken to uh, pinball bumpers. So you've got an A spot, an O spot, a G spot, and a U spot. And these things, if you push something past early where you're not aroused and not engorged and there's not blood in those areas, they're a little bit meh, whatevs, you know, you're going past high. But when they're aroused and lots of blood in the area, they're like hitting a pinball bumper where they're like, way, whoo, wee, these feel really nice. So there's a pleasure aspect of that. Then around 15 minutes into foreplay, um, all of our pelvic floor muscles drop down to make way for whatever's coming in. Um, and then, again, as people with vulva owners are getting very excited, those vestibular bulbs we talked about for the clitoral system swell up and they push on the sides of the vagina wall, making it a snug fit for whatever size thing is going in there. And then when we get even more excited, there's a smooth muscle behind the uterus that starts bouncing it around and pulls it up and out of the way with it, the cervix. Right, So a lot of people don't like having their cervix bashed into quickly in the proceedings. And some people are too keen to get into this yeah. um, porn-style stuff. Well, I was just about to say, when the uterus is doing its thing, that's when it's a really good time to get into that sort of pounding porn star kind of sex because the body's ready, it's open, it, there's space, it's engorged, and there's cushioning for it. If we start to get into that really quickly, we can get a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. And you wonder why people start losing interest in sex very quickly. And it often gets blamed with low libido. I'm joined right now by our resident sex expert and sexologist, Tanya Coons. She's teaching us a little bit about female pleasure and anatomy. We're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll be looking at why there seems to be a perception that men are more horny than women, where that came from, and if it's true. This is Birds with Place of Dreams by um, featuring Eka Vandal. Your mornings, FBI 94.5. Lost in a place of dreams, Place of Dreams, you're listening to FBI 94.5. This is Let's Talk About Sex, our fortnightly chat, which is filling the gaps of our sex education from high school. I'm joined by sex expert Tanya Coons. Who comes <laughs> Hi, Brady. You are a pleasure activist, Tanya. I am indeed. And today we are talking about the mechanics of arousal in the female or vagina and vulva owning system. Yep. So there seems to be this kind of belief and it's maybe sort of pushed by these American teen horny movies that guys just want sex all the time no matter what and women are the ones that are sort of a little bit less horny maybe Mm. they have to uh, just do it because they feel like that's what the guy wants is it true that guys are more horny or more 
you know, aroused than women? Is this a true thing? I don't think so. I think both men and women want to have sex. Like, I meet lots and lots and lots of horny women and horny men, and I also meet lots and lots of people, uh, both all sexes, all genders, that are not horny. So I think it varies amongst humans. Some people have a high uh, biological set point with their libido. Some people have low. Um, I think women have less testosterone, which is sometimes attributed to them having a lower sex drive because testosterone will definitely, you know, ramp things up a bit. And I work with a lot of people who are transitioning and when they start taking uh, testosterone, they're like, holy crap, I suddenly feel really horny. I hadn't expected this. And it's like, yeah, well, it's not it's not a given, but it can happen. So looking at that, so it's pretty natural for libidos to vary quite wildly in people. But I think it's a common misconception that women want less sex than men. There are reasons, though, right? Yes, other than a lack of testosterone. Yeah, there are reasons. So women don't enjoy bad sex. And I think women have been having a lot of bad sex because people do not understand the arousal systems, the things that we were talking about before. Things Um, we're trying to educate people on. (laughs) That's right. I have a colleague who coined the term um, adolescent male masturbatory model of sex. And Um, that is? (laughs) That um, up until the 70s, basically... You know, because people who own penises, your tackle's all on the outside of the body. So it's pretty easy to discover that and to discover that it feels nice to touch it. As as opposed to on the On the inside, inside. yeah. And I've actually seen a picture of a baby, like an ultrasound of a baby in the womb with its hand around a penis. So they start early. Okay. (laughs) Right? And I think, you know, when you own a penis, you work out pretty quickly too. If you jiggle it around a bit, you can have an orgasm. That's pretty cool. So there was a big assumption, I think, that, that... people with vulvas had the same kind of arousal that it was quick and the same kind of stuff so that when when these guys got a, a wife or a girlfriend they basically masturbated into their their wife or girlfriend they didn't know any different until feminist theory came along in the 70s and people started to have a look at this stuff right so it's new people can be very defensive about this they don't like being told that they don't know what they're doing or that they don't understand their partner's body um, so what happens then in bad, bad, what I call bad sex is that people are poorly aroused. They're not spending enough time on outer course. They're having pain or discomfort. They're focusing only on P and V sex. And, you know, a lot of that can be not pleasurable. And then there's this kind of pressure that's been going on up until recently where a lot of people have felt obliged to or pressured to have sex with their partners or with strangers. It's getting a bit better now when, with the hashtag MeToo movement and various other things where women are realizing, hey, whoa, I don't need to, I don't have to go ahead with things. I love the consent culture that we're breeding and it's only going to help all of us have more pleasure. It's not designed to stop people having sex. It's designed to help people have safer and more pleasurable sex. And that's what it's all about here on Let's Talk About Sex. Yeah. Bringing up the equality for pleasure. Yeah, and I think there's there's one more thing too that people don't realise is that women's desire um, drops when they have children. So, and it doesn't actually return to the same level as pre-baby. And so, is that to do, is that to do with a sort of physiological thing, or is that more that the kids are need attention, or there's something you need to do and you can't be thinking yeah, about sex? Yeah, it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B for that one. I think you know uh, we're designed. We're not really supposed to be shagging our partners while a, a saber tiger comes along and eats our baby, right? So we need our attention 
attention to be there and not to be feeling horny and distracted. We're also really not supposed to make another baby before the other one's a bit old enough to to cope with a new one coming through because we won't be able to cope with all of that attention. But, uh, yes, uh, women get a lot of their touch needs met from having babies and also they're phenomenally tired. So are the dads um, because new babies don't sleep regular hours and people take a long time to get used to that, that kind of sleep pattern. So it's not very sexy and I am very honest with parents and say you know what if you've got kids under five your sex life will take a hit and it's nobody's fault it's just the situation you find yourself in so see what you can do to work around it it doesn't mean no sex it means that you're going to need to work a little bit at it and maybe it's not going to be the fabulous hotel room sex that you may have been used to maybe we can do a whole episode on sex for new parents oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about this sort of uh, we we were mentioning earlier there seems to be this kind of mysticism or unknown mystery around female pleasure and it, and it's led to things like the clit being emitted from uh, scientific T- textbooks. Textbooks, yeah. Textbooks. yeah. What, what, is, what is that all about? Why is there mystery around female pleasure? Why hasn't it been as scientific as, as male or penis owners? Is it because... The vagina is sort of on the inside rather than out and about. I think that, that there's a little bit of that. Um, so it's on the inside. And I look at the social messages we get. You know, it's okay for people with penises to explore, to touch them. It's all good. But people who are involved us get told that they're dirty, they're disgusting, they're shameful, they don't look good, they don't feel good, they don't smell good, they don't taste good, they bleed, they get you in trouble, they get you pregnant. Listen to all of that stuff, right? And so it's very hard for a lot of women, I think, to be able to relax and enjoy sex after having all these shameful messages. And I think it's very political. You know, usually the big men of science are are funded by politics and, you know, feminist parties haven't been very popular in the past, so there's less funding for research and investigation. Um, I think... um, Yeah, what was I going to say? Yes... I think that people get afraid of women being sexual because you know a, a lot of a lot of marriage rules and things like that were quite political when we stopped being nomadic and started having fields and property that all of a sudden we had we needed to keep um, women under control because they had babies who were going to own the fields the crops the houses so they couldn't be running around being super sexy all the time so female sexuality is often regarded as dangerous by people which I find very amusing um, but look through the tropes in history it's it's all been very okay for men to be powerful and sexual and masterful but for women not so much we're supposed to be demure and holding back now speaking of the mystery shrouded uh, female <laughs> pleasure there's something that I've always been a little bit confused about which is having an orgasm without simulation of the clitoris is that ah. a possibility or is yeah. it a hundred Yes. Total. So an orgasm from penetrative style sex. Yeah. Yep. Um, the stats are about 28% of women can have a vaginal orgasm like via penetration. And when you think about it, it's really an internal clitoral stimulation because it's about the penis hitting up against, or, or the dildo or the finger, hitting up against the um, the G-spot or one or the one of the, the places where the clitoral system is pressing against the vaginal walls. Because also we have a, a urethra that flows through the middle of that and it's surrounded in by urethric sponge, which is also erectile tissue. And when that swells up and hits the wall of the vagina, that actually forms the G-crest, we're calling it. It's not just a spot, it's a whole crest. So there's a lot of parts of female body 
that arouse and get erect. There's even a little spot between your anus and the introitus, which is the opening of your vagina, perineal sponge, that swells up. Tons of stuff for us when we play around properly and get ourselves all warmed up. This 28%, I think, is a rolling number because it depends on how far away your clitoris is from the opening of your vagina, what size and shape and angle the penis or whatever's going into you is at, where your G-spot might be connecting in there. Like it's, it's mechanical, like it's the chances and the odds of having things reach that. Right, so I think it's a rolling. You know, you you might be with this kind of partner now, and it doesn't happen. Maybe in the future it will happen. But you know, one thing I do know is that the vast majority of women will experience an orgasm from stimulating the external parts of their clitoris using fingers or tongue or rubbing against their lover. And this is what their lovers need to understand and stop being in such a rush to get to the P and V sex. Do not believe the porn. Do not believe the movies that you can just have a few thrusts and send her into rapturous orgasms. It does not work like that. We are like a beautiful old vintage car that needs to be warmed up in the garage for a little while before you take us out for a spin. You're listening to Let's Talk About Sex on FBI 94.5. Huge thanks to my guest Tanya Coons <laughs> from Surrey Hills Therapy. And thanks, if you're interested in learning any more, you can check out the podcast Let's Talk about sex on your podcast app and on the FBI website. That's right. And what are we doing next week? Next week next we're talking tonight. about more specifically the G spot. Yeah. Which is something I'm very interested to learn more about. And yeah, like I said, if you want to learn more, you can find Let's Talk About Sex podcasted. This Fab. is This is X Ray with Crashing. Thanks, Tanya. Bye. Cigarette, not speaking at all. 